G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Have you woken up? Are you wide awake? Here we go. It's on the screen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You get it? He didn't say, would you be, would you pretty please be? No. When the Spirit comes on you, which only comes on the truly committed, on the narrow walkers, then you will be my witnesses. And the reality is that God gives every single one of you in this room in different ways and places you at strategic points so that someone around you will identify with your personal evangelistic style. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines, online and on air around the world. Today, Pastor Jeff completes the Awakening series with his message on why God loves his church. Jeff's been reading from Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and he's been speaking about why we need to love the church, God's people, just as God does. Just a reminder, you can find all of these messages wherever you listen to podcasts. But for now, let's join Pastor Jeff as he wraps up this Awakenings series. I ask you, if you love Jesus, you love his church. And if you love his church, you're passionate about what he's passionate about. And nobody does evangelism like the individual Christian. So my question to you is, who are you investing in? And are you walking across the room? Now, I know what some people are going to say. So I'm going to help you. Some people say, it's not my gift. It's not my gift. I want to give you the East Tennessee translation of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here's how it would read. But all youans will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on all y'all. And all you all will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the people who ain't from around these parts. Now, the reason I say it like that is because evangelism is for all of us, every single one of us. And God places us strategically at the right place at the right time among the right people for such a time as this. So let's say it out loud. And here we go. One, two, three. We love the church because the people in the church are the most effective evangelists. Now be careful. Remember what I said two weeks ago. If you knew the sin in my life, you wouldn't listen to me, but that's okay because if I knew the sin in your life, I wouldn't talk to you. And the bottom line is this. It's not about being perfect. It's not. It's about walking across the room, taking a person by the hand, and saying, I myself have not arrived yet. I'm not who I ought to be all in all, but hold my hand and you and I will go toward Christ and together we will pursue Christ's likeness. And that's Philippians 3, 10 through 14. I love the church. Let's keep moving though. Second reason. 
I love the church because people in the church are some of the most accepting, loving people you will ever meet. Now, I know what some people say to me. They say, oh, no, no, no. I've met some of the most rotten people in my life in the church. Two responses to that. Number one, Dane Johnson is really not that bad. Okay? And number two, number two, so have I. I have. People in the church have said things that have been 10 times more hurtful to me than people outside. That is true. However, overall, overall, the best people I know are in the church. Gracious, holy, sweet, kind, and these people have shaped my life. Clyde Buckles was the elder, chairman of the board of elders in the church in which I grew up. And he had three gorgeous daughters. Now, Pastor Jeff, I'm worried about you. This is the second story about gorgeous women. Do you have a problem? No, no. It just happens to fit this way. Three beautiful daughters. The middle daughter was my age. She was stunning. She still is stunning. Not as much as my wife, of course, but you, that, goes, that goes without saying. She was stunning. And the youth group grew not because of the word. It grew because of her. All the guys wanted to be there. Now, it, it grew because of the word too, but you, you know my point, stunning. It just so happened about the age that I started to recognize or to notice the, other, the opposite sex, that I was chosen to play Joseph in the Christmas play. And to show you how God looks at me as his favorite, <laughs> he chose Melissa Buckles to play Mary. <laughs> and to show you that he is willing to go out of his way to bless my life. Somehow, one of our youth leaders had gotten hold of a script that in the middle of the play, Mary kisses Joseph, which would have never happened in the first century context. But I didn't care. I just knew that there was a script writer somewhere in America for whom I had great affection at this moment. <laughs> and the time came in rehearsal for Mary to kiss Joseph and Clyde Buckles was there overseeing the play. And he noticed his daughter was a little shy. And he said, Clyde Buckles, the chairman of the board of elders of the Eastside Christian Church, he said, Mary, which is his daughter, Mary, kiss Joseph. It's what it says in the script. And do it with vigor and passion. And I knew right then that some of the best people I know are in the church. Right then and there. But Clyde Buckles was an amazing man. He really was. This guy, he taught Sunday school with the flannel board. He could make that flannel board come alive. Jesus walking on the water and Peter getting out of the boat. And he would kneel down and pray. And it was like he was talking to God. I mean, just, it was like God was right beside him. God, I'm a sinner. I ask for forgiveness. And Father, I pray for these kids next to me. I love them. He just talked like he and God were tight and he loved us. He would invite me home to his house a lot of times after church for Sunday dinner me and three beautiful young girls. He was investing in my life and it's made a huge impact. Now I've got a friend also though that tells me that he's amazed that as his church grows, he looks out sometimes and he sees a lot of what he calls sour pusses, just people who look sad, who look frustrated, don't look very happy. And I got to tell you, I'm going to talk about that in a moment about here, but in a moment. He said there was one guy that started coming, just looked sad all the time, just looked like he was miserable. He said, so after about two or three weeks of this, I just got tired of it. And after the last service, I walked down right to him and I grabbed him in my hands and I kissed him right on the cheek. And he just walked out. 
He came back though. I kissed him again. Three weeks, I just kissed him right on the cheek. He left. The fourth time I came down, he was ready for me. He said, preacher, now wait a second. My wife died just recently. And I keep coming here because you say that people in this place will love me if I'll let them. Well, when my wife died, my biggest issue has been, I don't think there's anyone in this world left who will love me. But you keep saying that there are people in this church that will love me. A few months later, he keeps coming. He says, I want to see if you're right. Is there anybody that will love me in this church? He says, I'll never forget. Three or four months later, the guy's still coming. I walk down. He grabs me by the arm and he looks me in the eye and he says, preacher, you were right. And he kissed him right on the cheek. Here's what I love about the church. It takes broken people and loves them. You know what? I got to be honest with you. I'm not going to point anybody out, but there are a few people in this service and the next service. Sometimes I look out at you and I wonder, I'm just in the flesh. I wonder why are you even here? Because you look so mad and it looks like you're mad at me. I see everything. I do. It looks like you're mad. And I, I, what goes through my mind is, man, somebody's wife has forced them to come to church again. But I keep seeing them every week. Sometimes people look like they're so distant. They're not here. They'd rather be on their cell phone. I'm thinking, why are you? But then it's like the spirit of God opens my eye. He's like, he speaks to me. Wait a minute now. And here's what he says. He says, remember, Jeff, the church is the light of the world. But the problem with light is, is it attracts bugs. <laughs> right? <laughs> We're all bugs. But the beautiful thing about the church is this. All bugs are welcomed and we promise to love you while we debug you. And that's why I love, but you gotta be willing to take the risk. That's why I talk about life groups all the time. My, one of my favorite pastimes is to go over to Anthony McMahon's house and watch the Dodger game as the angels just whoop up on him most of the time. And if I stay long enough, I know that Vivian will start to feel sorry for the pastor and she will cook some real Mexican food, not the stuff you get at restaurants, the real stuff. And she'll bring it over and she'll offer it. And I'll always say, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Liar. <laughs> this big plate of food. And then the desserts. And then Anthony will give me a little diet coke. It's great. I love it. I love, that's community, man. And you can find it too, man. You can find it. You can. I love the church because it loves people. And the Celebrate Recovery group, man, those guys are still my heroes. They're in there, man. They come together. Like I said before, I, they're the only ones honest enough to realize they got issues, <laughs> hurts and habits and hangups, which we all have. But they think, man, we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to win the victory. We're in it to win it. And we will win in the end. If you've got it, if you're a bug, which we all are, there's a place that you can be attracted to light that won't zap you. You'll be okay. Now let's say it together out loud, fireside room. Here we go. We love the church because it has some of the most loving and accepting people we know. And that's true. Acts 4.32 says this, all the believers, all of them, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And I'm assuming that everything is also your troubles. All right, last one. I love the church. Third, because the church reaches out to the poor and the oppressed. And I love it. Now, this is a photo you won't often see. Bill Clinton and George Bush, both of them 
together, lobbied hard, both of them, for charitable choice legislation because they know that faith-based organizations are much more effective than the government ever could be at creating jobs, housing the homeless, treating addiction, and feeding the hungry. Did you hear that? And as I walk around the world, in Kenya, Zimbabwe, South Africa, New Zealand, India, wherever I go, it thrills my heart. I'm so encouraged by what the people of the church are doing. Do you realize, folks, that 99.9% of the charitable organizations in the world who are feeding, who are clothing, who are visiting the prisoners come from faith-based, from people who know the call of Jesus on their lives, and they go and live for a purpose greater than themselves? I challenge you, you young people, go home. I challenge you old people, too. Go home. Google Elias Santana, E-L-I-A-S, Santana. Google him, a remarkable young man who grew up in the Dominican Republic, who came to the United States to get his degree, got a medical degree, and while he's working on the medical degree, he met somebody, I believe, from Navigators who shared the gospel. He became a believer. So now he goes back to the Dominican Republic, but he's a changed man with a degree and a profession, but he knows if he's truly a committed Christian, that everything he has belongs to God anyway. So do you know what he does? He gets on a plane the first week of every month and flies over to Puerto Rico and engages in medicine and surgery. He makes a ton of money, flies back on the one-hour trip, spends the next three weeks of the month in his home, the Dominican Republic. And do you know what he does? Gives all the money away that he earned other than to live on in basic lifestyles. So what does he do? He feeds the poor, clothes them, gives them free medical attention, shows great compassion. He does it year after year after year. Now he's got medical organizations all over the world that operate like this. Kind of like the Robin Hood, take from the rich, give to the poor. I don't know, but that's what he's doing. After a few years of this, Elias Santana stands up in the Dominican Republic on the back of a truck and he figures it's time to share the good news of the gospel. And he begins to preach Christ in the middle, in the middle of Marxism, where students from the local university have gathered as well, leading the Marxist movement. And as he's preaching the gospel and the love of Jesus to all these people, there's a guy named Julio that is there leading the Marxist movement, who's in charge. And somebody from the crowd screams over to Julio and says, Julio, Elias Santana is winning people to Jesus Christ. Your movement is in big trouble if you let this guy continue to preach. And Julio's response in that moment, he says this, and he shouts it so everyone can hear. He says, does Julio, what can I do? Elias Santana has earned the right to be heard. In a Marxist regime, he preaches the gospel and he doesn't get killed for it because he's earned the right because he was compassionate first. You see, we can have a fully devoted follower in every home in this valley, but we cannot do it alone. And I want our church to champion that lead and to get other churches involved and they would be responsible for their territory and we for ours as the church comes together as one. Because we know that until they see all our compassion, all of us, we will not have earned the right to be heard. And what I'm saying to you 
is that when people really get into Jesus, they get into his church because they truly understand what the church is about because they truly understand what Jesus is about. And my concern is that when all is said and done, that it will only be said and not done. Now, here we go toward the end. My friend, Tony Campolo. Now, let me just make a comment here because I got a few emails. I need to say something. Just because I quote a guy doesn't mean that I agree with him on every issue. In fact, Tony Campolo, I've really been disappointed where he's gone the last 10, 15, 20 years moving toward a liberal side. But never mind, in the 70s and 80s, the guy was setting the world on fire. So just because you hear me quote somebody doesn't mean I endorse everything they write, teach, or preach. Man, if I, if I did that, I'd never quote anybody. Well, except for Jesus. He, he's pretty trustworthy. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Campolo says he's just been on a speaking tour. He lands. His PA met him at the terminal and said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but man, I, I don't know how I missed it, but you're scheduled to speak in about a half an hour at a ladies' function. And Campolo says, you know, I didn't, oh man, I was tired. I just wanted to go home. I'd been traveling for days, but I went, I arrived, I walked up on the stage and I was already in a bad mood. And he said, and then Madam Chairman gets out a letter from a sweet little lady in Venezuela who is working with children who are in need. And she writes how they've got this hospital, but they have so many kids in need and they want to build a new wing. And for $5,000, they can build a new wing. And so the Madam Chairman looks over at Dr. Campolo and says, Dr. Campolo, would you pray that God would provide the 5,000 needed for the hospital wing? And Dr. Campolo says, I told you I'm in a bad mood. And when I'm in a bad mood, I can't be trusted. So I looked at her and I said, no. Excuse me? No, I will not pray that God provide $5,000 for this hospital wing. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'm going to take my wallet out of my back pocket and whatever's in there, I'm going to lay it on the altar. And I'm asking all of you ladies in the room, a few hundred, to do the same. And whatever's missing, I'll write the check for the rest. The Madam Chairman looked over at Dr. Campolo and said, I think we get your point. And he said, oh, no, you don't. No, no, because you haven't put your money on the altar yet. That's when I'll know you got my point. He said, you've never seen so many ladies walk by him with just look in their eyes of anger, being forced to do this. Said it took him an hour to take up the offering. I wonder what would happen if we did that here. Just kept passing on and on. <laughs> Don't worry. They collected $7,000. $110 of old adulterated cash from Madam Chairman, he says. And then he writes this. The Church of Jesus Christ has been given the resources to meet the needs of the world, but many in the church are pocketing these resources and spending it on what the rest of the world sees as luxuries. Now, I want you to come in here and I want you to listen to me as your pastor. First of all, let me say, I love you. You know what's coming now, don't you? Now, I want you to listen to me. I do love you. I told you that story about the Rwandan children last week and I could see that you were moved by it. I'm, I, I love this church because you are moved by it. But what if, what if I right now said, all right, everybody, get out of your chair and bring your cash right on this table. We're going to build about 30 of these things. Now, don't worry. We're not going to do that. If you're visiting, you're safe. <laughs> what if I did though? What would be inside you? You know, guys, look. I told you you're in trouble when you hire a missionary. And there's a part of me that's just like, well, all of me is like all of you. And there's a part of me sometimes that I, I, I feel 
that I shouldn't have to apologize for asking you to give to God. Because giving should not be done out of obligation, but out of compassion because you love Jesus and you know Jesus loves his church. And the thing he wants more than anything is that church be expanded on the earth. And so he gives you and me resources to make sure the work happens. You think about it. Think, now, don't you turn me off, especially you guys. You look at me man to man. 90-10. 90-10. That's a good plan. Everything ultimately comes from God. We say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, but I'm not giving him anything back. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above of heavenly lights. 90-10. That's a pretty good deal. Some of you on summer will go on vacation and you won't give again till you come back in August. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you. You want to know if you're in? The number one topic in the New Testament that Jesus discusses is money because he knows if he has that, he has you. And if he doesn't, he still doesn't have all of you. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. My concern that we'll talk a good game, but in the end, we won't deliver. And as your pastor, I know I could never get away with that. And as a church, neither can we. If we're going to champion this charge, Jaime Mendoza tells me that if everybody in our church, and look, I'm not asking for the tithers to give more. I mean, if you want to give an offering, I mean, I think that's good. But if everybody in the church tithe, the 90, 10, if everybody did it, we'd never, never have to turn anybody down for any need. We'd be running over. And we could build 25 or 30 of those little houses in Rwanda and then tell you about it. And the ministry that we're doing here with your kids and with the college students, those are important ministries too. You can't just go overseas and forget the people who are hurting right here in the valley. When I read people say, the church is doomed. And I read that. Church is doomed. One more generation, it's over. I think, man, are you crazy? The church is the hope of the world. There is no plan B. Her people do life change like no other. Are you changing somebody's life by walking across the room? Are you? Her people are the kindest people in the world. Are you kind to people? Her people reach out to the poor and the oppressed by using their resources that ultimately they acknowledge comes from God. Now, are you in? Are you? You know now whether you are or not. Some of you in, but not all of you. No such thing as a half-hearted, half-committed Christian. All in. All in. And T.S. Eliot was dead wrong, folks, when he said the world would end with a whimper. The world will end with a whimper? No, 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 no. No. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord, and he will reign forever and ever. And the question is, are you going to reign with him? Have you woken up in the last 30 days? Are you wide awake? Are you? I hope so. I don't know if you had fun listening, but I sure had fun preaching. Father, thank you for your love and your passion and compassion on all people in our lives. Father, I pray that at no point during this series that I would have violated grace. We know that grace is powerful. It's effective. But we also know there is a cause and effect. That when we truly give our lives completely and totally to you, that we're going to love you and we're going to love your church and we're going to be passionate about what you're passionate about. And we are your witnesses to all the world here locally, in the valley, in this nation, 
and beyond. Father, I pray if there are any eyes yet to be opened, that your light would shine in the darkness, that lives would be changed. And right now, as the Spirit of God descends on this place, as we move from this series to another, that we would not leave this time behind without giving our lives totally and completely to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.